Welcome to Indie Radio, broadcast number 46. Indie Radio is an indie game development talk show, which is here to bring you interviews with both large and lesser-known developers, recap the latest news, debate about topics in indie gaming, and to give you some tips and tricks for your journey into game development. I'm Brett Hudson, your host, broadcasting from the Midwest United States. And with us today, we have Aaron Sanfilippo. Hello. Yep, so uh, Aaron uh, is part of Flipfly, and they've worked on a, a couple of games, including Monkey Drum and their most recent title, Race the Sun. So after the news today, we will get into an interview with him, talking about Race the Sun, E3, and all that good indie gaming goodness. So uh, first up on our news is Indie 3. It's uh, It was an online alternative to E3. It's actually still uh, going on if you're listening to this live. Uh, it's from June 9th to the 16th, 2014. And uh, it's, from what I understand, a, uh, a stream where they just show indie game trailers and uh, talk about some big games uh, in the indie world and smaller games as well that are coming out. Um, because, you know, that's, that's what they do at E3, they announce games, so Indie E3, or Indie 3, they're, uh, just getting a lot of the smaller guys, and, uh, it's, it's pretty cool. So, yeah. or, sorry? Yeah, it's, it seems like a neat idea. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, things start at 6pm Eastern Standard Time each day, which is 3pm if you're, uh, over in Cali, that coast, uh, the Western Standard Time, there we go. Or no, it's Pacific Standard Time. I don't know, I couldn't think of that. And uh, it goes late into the night. But uh, I stopped by for a little bit, and there were some cool games being shown in there. Uh, basically, what you can do is you can send them uh, trailers for your game to an email address, which I cannot find. Um, yeah, it's not posted here. Uh, but you can go to their Twitter account, which is just uh, at... Project Indie 3, and uh, that's just Project Indie, and then, you know, just the normal words with the number 3 at the end. Uh, it's pretty easy to find, and uh, they also have Tumblr where they showcase stuff. Their stream is hitbox.tv slash Indie 3, that's a capital E and then a 3. So if you guys want to check that out, uh, feel free to. And yeah, hopefully they'll keep this going each year, because it's, it's a really cool opportunity for Indies to get noticed. And, uh, you know, there's always a rare occurrence that the actual E3 might adopt something like this or let them come into the actual show. Alright, and uh, our news today is going to have a lot of stuff about E3 because it just happened this week and it's the big gaming uh, convention of the year, so it just makes sense that we would cover it. Uh, the first up, we have Sony and Indies. So, Devolver Digital actually announced that they are partnering with Sony, and they're doing some pretty cool stuff. Um, they're releasing a ton, ton of games on uh, PlayStation 4, PlayStation Vita, and uh, I believe PlayStation 3 still. Um, they just recently uh, published uh, Luftrausers by Vlambeer uh, on PlayStation consoles. 
And that was a huge success, so Sony and developer are actually partners now, so there's going to be tons more games, and they're going to be a great publisher uh, if you want to get into publishing for PlayStation. Um, some games that are coming to PlayStation are Abzu, an underwater game, which I, I really don't know what it's about. Their trailer uh, kind of lacked actual gameplay. Um, and then No Man's Sky, which... Every, everybody's been talking about. Uh, if, you, if you haven't heard of No Man's Sky, look it up as soon as you can. It's insane. Uh, basically, it is a game where you uh, start on a planet. Everybody starts on their own planet. They all play together online. Um, and you discover things about this planet. There's resources there. Uh, each, each planet is completely unique. Everything's procedurally generated, so you'll find species of animals nobody else has ever seen, plants nobody else has ever seen, all sorts of stuff. And then you can get in a spaceship and you can fly into space and team up with other players and create your own stories. Uh, there's artificial intelligence in the game in the form of uh, species, animals, possibly humanoid enemies. Uh, they haven't announced anything about that yet, so we don't know. And then uh, spaceships that you can destroy or aid if you want. And uh, everything's kind of reward-based. Everything that you do, you're going to get something out of. So, it's it's really just open-world, and it's really cool. It's gorgeous. Uh, check it out when you can. And then uh, Aaron, uh, he's part of FlipFly, as we stated earlier, and they have a game that just recently... Um, or, no, it didn't release, but uh, you guys are working with PlayStation on bringing it to uh, the PlayStation consoles. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So, uh, <clears throat> Nick from Sony, Nick Sittner, actually approached us at PAX uh, 2013. And so we've been talking to them for a while. Um, and, you know, I just asked us if we wanted to work with them to get our game in the PlayStation platform. And so, you know, we've been working with them. We wanted to get our, our Steam version out first because we had we'd been on a Kickstarter and it was kind of like created as a PC game initially. And so we, uh, we released on, on Steam last uh, December. And we've pretty much been working on the, the PlayStation version since then, so we're bringing that to PS3, PS4, and Vita uh, sometime this summer. So that'll be exciting. I've logged, oh god, how many hours have I logged in Racist on? I don't know, <laughs> but when when it initially came out, I couldn't tear myself away from it and be like, oh, I need to work, I need to work, but I could, yeah, I could go play Racist on. <laughs> yeah, it's um. Like, initially, I was like, okay, this game looks kind of cool, but once you get into it, it's... I I can't even describe it. It's really fun. So, my Vita's battery is probably going to need to be replaced uh, once that <laughs> game comes out. Yeah. Yeah, we've really been focused on the Vita and trying to make that experience pretty much identical to the PC and, and a PS4 and PS3 version, so it's been challenging, but we're getting... It's getting pretty close. It feels, it feels like pretty much the same game now, so... Uh, you had to do a lot of optimization and stuff to get the frame rate up and you know get the look to be the same and stuff like that, but it's it's paid off. So yeah, the Vita the Vita screen is absolutely gorgeous. So mm -hmm. like, I'm guessing the colors just pop in your game. Totally, yeah. All right, moving on to Microsoft. They uh, had almost 40 games revealed and confirmed at E3. Uh, so. Microsoft has been running this program called ID at Xbox, and it's it's pretty easy to get um, signed up with it. Uh, 
like the the sign up process i mean is very simple all you have to do is really give them like your base info um it's a lot simpler than sony's or nintendo's um which makes it really easy for people to be um what's the word i'm looking for uh, interested i guess to uh join it because they don't have to do all this complicated stuff um so there's been a lot of people joining id at xbox um which is uh, Microsoft's way of keeping people from publishing with Sony. Uh, and uh, they have some pretty cool games coming out for it. Uh, some games that we've mentioned on the show in the past and some games that people have been looking at. Uh, they have Another World, Aztec, um, Capybara's Below. What are some more games? Uh, Cuphead. Uh, that's that game that looks like it's a old Popeye cartoon. Looks really good. Yeah. Uh, what other games? Uh, Phoenix Rage, Fru, uh, apparently there's a new Guacamelee coming out, uh, called Super Turbo Championship Edition. Okay. Hyper Light Drifter, let's see, Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time, what are some other games I recognize? Uh, Cube Director's Cut, Threes, um, which has recently been cloned into 2048. So if you guys play that, then you pretty much understand what threes is. And uh, IDARB. Hashtag IDARB, sorry. Um, so Microsoft's got some stuff going for them too, which is uh, pretty exciting, because last year they showed a couple uh, games coming to their platform, but this year they have a bunch, and uh, they look really good. So it's it's exciting seeing that Sony and Microsoft are both really interested in indies and they're both getting really interesting games. Totally, yeah. Yeah, I saw the trailer for uh, Inside, I think is the one I'm probably the most excited about. I think it's the creators of, of Limbo on uh, Xbox and that oh, it's right, it super, is. Uh, super fascinating, mysterious. Yeah, I had only seen a, uh, a screenshot for it, but I see there's a trailer on here. I'm going to have to check that out later. Mm -hmm. What what exactly is it about? They didn't really say. It, it kind of seems like thematically maybe it's similar to something like Limbo. You know, it's like a, a character kind of walking around with like these zombie type um, NPCs and stuff like that. So it seems kind of like it has this sort of dark, kind of like corporate apocalyptic type theme or something. I don't know. It's, it's very mysterious. I just, uh, you know, it caught my eye because I know... You know, I played Limbo and love that, and it was mm -hmm. like, you know, I know it's going to be good just because of who's, who's making it, you know? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I'm surprised it's been so long since they uh, released a game, so hopefully yeah. they've been putting all that time into this, because it looks pretty sweet from totally. the screenshots. Alright, so, uh, yeah, I don't know what else to say about Microsoft. They mostly just showed off games. They didn't announce any partnerships or anything like that. <laughs> Um, Nintendo also has any games headed their way. Uh, I'm, I'm surprised more people haven't gotten into publishing with Nintendo because they are pretty much open platform at this point. You don't even have to have a studio like you used to have. Because um, have you ever heard about that, Aaron? Where you used to have to have an actual like uh, office yeah. where you could lock right. dev kits, like security. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah, don't. It's kind of backwards. They don't uh, require that anymore, but I don't think anybody knows that, so that's probably why nobody's publishing on Nintendo really. 
Um, yeah, I've heard, I've heard good things from people who are working with them, but they're not doing quite as well as, as you know, Sony and Microsoft at the outreach and, mm-hmm. you know, just getting the word out into things. So I think for a lot of us in these, it's just kind of like, well, who talked to us first and who seems the most approachable <laughs> and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, um, Nintendo, uh, Wii U sales, or said Wii U sales are actually catching up to PlayStation. They've already exceeded the uh, Xbox One sales, so... Who knows? Maybe yeah, we we use sales. Oh, as far as um, like a uh, number of consoles. Oh sure, yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean they've been out longer, so mm-hmm. I think if you compare like, you know, compared to how long they've been out, they're still yeah. pretty far far behind the curve on the other two. But it's pretty exciting to see that there's actually mm-hmm. some movement there, though. Yeah, they're they're <laughs> the way that they uh, worded it. It sounded like they were about to exceed Sony in the coming months, like. They're the Wii U is growing fast enough where they're gonna go over the curve and uh, exceed both consoles. But who knows? Um, That's interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So uh, I don't recognize any of these games. Uh, Chariot. Uh, I've seen that one before. Cube Men Two. Oh, Guacamelee. The new Super Turbo Championship Edition. Let's see, what else? Moon Chronicles, Episode 2. Shovel Knight. Shovel Knight looks awesome. Uh, Swords and Soldiers 2. Uh, what else? Yeah, that's that's about it. Oh, and Wooden Sensei at the bottom of the list. Um, so, Starwall. Or what was that? Uh, Starwall, just a tip. And uh, Tengami are also coming to it. Nice. It's got more, so. Yeah, I haven't heard those, too. But yeah, so there's quite a bit going on with Nintendo. They also uh, announced their Amiibos at E3, which are kind of interesting. It's their their way of doing what Disney Infinity and Skylanders are doing. And uh, right, right. you basically buy little Mario figurines and Zelda and Link and uh, Samus and all their characters. And then you can level them up and play in between games. So it'll be interesting if they open up the SDK to that to allow uh, indie developers to incorporate into their games. Mm-hmm. But the, it'll, it'll be off a ways because right now they're only doing it with Nintendo uh, licensed games. So, who knows? Right, it's not totally clear what their plan is with third-party games. It's like, are they going to let them put Mario and Zelda and stuff in their games and stuff? Let's see. <laughs> That'd be cool if they did. But... Mm-hmm. And then there's always other ways that they could do the Amiibos, too. It doesn't necessarily have to be that the character shows up in the game, but maybe using the amiibo gives you, like, experience boost or something. Sure. Alright, so uh, we're all done with E3 talk. That's all behind us. Let's talk about the number 5 now. Alright, Unity 5 is coming out uh, pretty soon here, and uh, there's a bunch of great stuff coming with it. Um, There's some new high-end shaders, uh, and... It's going to be available to everyone, it sounds like, not just the uh, the paid customers. There's cross-platform, real-time global illumination. Um, so there's some really cool uh, graphics interface stuff for uh, mobile development. Now, uh, they amped up uh, game audio. There's a 64-bit Unity editor coming. Uh, WebGL is going to be a deployment platform for the new Unity. 
mobile cross-promotion made easy, they're using Unity Cloud, which will basically amp up um, the way that mobile cross-development uh, and promotion will work. So you'll be able to promote other games inside of uh, your game and vice versa. And uh, if if I'm not getting it mixed up with another service, you actually get to choose which games show up. So it's not just you're, you're displaying random games, it's games that you like. So you actually are able to send your, uh, your customers to another game and possibly have that game return the favor if they like you as well. Um, which is exciting because promotion used to just be, you know, whoever, whoever's paying for it gets shown on your app and that gets kind of annoying. Uh, there's some more stuff. Uh, there's what they call a Unity home screen. I'm going to have to read into that. I don't know what that is. Uh, 2D physics effectors, physics 3.3, a job queue, uh, level streaming, uh, speed tree support, new mech anim features. I'm going to set that out loud. <laughs> uh, nav mesh updates, uh, and a bunch of asset bundles. Uh, and then there's also some updates to their 2D tools. Um, not only in Unity 5, but in the version that they just are about to release, Unity 4.5, I think it is? Or was it 4.4? Yes, 4.5. Um, they have a bunch of new stuff going on with the 2D physics, uh, which is fantastic, because I've seen some bugs uh, working with the 2D, 2D version, so it'll be fantastic. They actually rewrote part of the uh, Box 2D engine that they're using. Uh, which is why they're getting an improvement. And then there's a bunch of other stuff, uh, such as the uh, iOS upgrade. Uh, what is this? Oh, there's no more uh, Wi-Fi latency when playtesting your games on iOS devices, is what they're saying. That's cool. cool. Yeah, so uh, tons of new Unity stuff. Check it yeah, out. I'm really, I'm really excited to check out the, web, the WebGL build. Personally, I think that's kind of like... For me, I think that's maybe the most important one, just forward-looking, because it's like, you know, they, they have something like 200 million installs of, of the Unity web player in the world, but, you know, it's still kind of a barrier to entry if you require, a, you know, a plug-in install on a, on a web build. So, yeah. you know, the WebGL thing seems like it could open up lots of new audiences, you know, maybe Facebook or other, you know, what used to be Flash portals and now just web portals, you know. Uh, become targets for Unity games now, which is just really cool. Mm -hmm. And Unity's uh, being clever about it too. They're only allowing uh, the paid-for Pro add-on users to use it, so it's actually an add-on that you have to buy. Uh, okay. Which I mean, it's definitely worth the money because you're going to be able to hit a much larger uh, target base. Right. Right. But who knows how much it's going to be? Uh, I mean, how much? The the Android and iOS are free now, right? There's free versions. There's, I think there's still Pro oh, yeah. updates for those as well. So yeah, it's it's fifteen hundred bucks for both or for either of them. Mm -hmm. So three thousand together. So yeah, Web WebGL will probably be another fifteen hundred. Just guesstimating. Yeah, so. I don't think they've actually announced what their licensing model is for that yet, have they? Uh, no, not at all. Let me let me press one more. No, nope, nothing. Maybe, maybe we'll get lucky and they'll just decide to give it away or something. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> maybe a free version as well. That'd be awesome if they did. I mean, I think it makes sense. Like, why wouldn't you want to let people publish web builds? You know. Mm -hmm. 
Alright, so uh, next up is Game Maker Studio. Well, we're throwing out the word free. The uh, standard edition is now free as of uh, June 6th. And uh, it's really fantastic because previously they had uh, the free version and then standard. Standard was what GM uh, 8.0 free pretty much was. Um, if you guys remember that, that was years ago. Um, and uh, the free version only allowed you to have three rooms, limited amount of assets, limited amount of objects. So it was basically like trial edition of a game maker, which was a real bummer for all the free users. So now they have the standard edition available for free, which is absolutely fantastic because now anybody can use game maker and create games without having to to pay. Because when you're when you're like 12 years old, you don't have 50 bucks to to show. <laughs> right, right. It just lowers that barrier to entry that much more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying Game Maker is an exclusive uh, for kids or anything. I mean, everybody who's listening in probably knows that if they've listened to our previous broadcast, but I, I know that there is a big market for the kids with uh, Game Maker because it's really easy to get into. Sure. Yeah, um, yeah I think uh, Vlogbear is still using it for most of their games, aren't they? Yeah. I think they use it for Love Frosters and, and uh, Nuclear Throne. Yep. They have been. And uh, going off of that, uh, Sony and Yu Yu Games actually partnered up and they have PlayStation uh, deployment now. And Blombeer has been uh, one of the major people using it. Um, they actually ran Nuclear Throne on PS Vita a little while back uh, in one of their live streams. And it was, it was pretty cool. Um, so. Anybody that uses uh, Game Maker and can get into PlayStation's um, development uh, network is able to uh, get these uh, plugins for absolutely free for Yu Yu games, allowing them to create PlayStation games. And uh, I'm not sure if that ties in with why they just did the uh, Game Maker Studio for free thing to get more people into it for that, or. Uh, or not, because I'm guessing you probably have to have at least the standard edition to be able to use it. So, I'm not sure. Right. It's probably something, a deal that they cut with, with Sony, you know, where it was just like, I'm, I'm guessing Sony pays a certain amount per per license or something like that. You know, or maybe they pay, paid them a, mm -hmm. a chunk up front or something like that, just to make it easier for people to get on their platform, you know? <clears throat> Let's see, is there anything else interesting? Um, yeah, so uh, basically Game Maker, you can publish PlayStation 4, PlayStation Vita, and PlayStation 3 systems, and probably any future uh, PlayStation systems. Uh, PlayStation Mobile is not on there, so if you guys are interested in PlayStation Mobile, you're going to have to go use Unity, because they're uh, working on a beta right now for uh, PlayStation Mobile which is going to be out later this month, officially, I think. Maybe it was July. Mm -hmm. um, I was looking at that. Seems pretty cool. Um, PlayStation Mobile is a bit limited, though. Uh, I was working with it a little while back, and I tried loading a background image, and uh, there wasn't enough memory to load the image, so I was like, oh, I can't even load this image. This is not very good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but... <laughs> Is that all right? So, yeah, that's that's about it for the news. 
Um, I'm going to check the IRC. Anybody talking? No. Nope. Uh, we do have an IRC. It is available at uh, indiefunction.com slash radio. You can also find it via a link in our Twitter. So uh, if anybody wants to jump in and uh, ask us questions for the upcoming interview, uh, feel free to. Or if you want to talk about news, uh, suggest something for the show, whatever. You guys know the... Uh... God, I'm at a loss for words today. You guys know the role. That's, that's what I'm going to go with. the music so it's just a giant uh, silence. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Visor actually asked a question. Uh, do you think Unity is a sustainable development platform? Hmm. Well, I've got some thoughts on that. I don't know uh, if you do or not, but I, I think so. You know, I think, uh, I think they're ahead of the curve when it comes to the engine just in terms of the community that they built. And, you know, the there's sort of this race to the bottom right now in the engine market, I guess, where you know you see Epic with Unreal Engine 4 coming out with a, a pretty cheap uh, subscription model, and then Crytek went even cheaper uh, with the Crytek engine. Um, but I think you know Unity's still got a pretty good value proposition when it comes down to it. It's like you know you can start for free, you can have your game for free on on PC and mobile as long as you're okay with having the the Unity splash screen in there and you know, not all the bells and whistles of the engine, so it's, it's pretty easy to get started with. Um, but I think, you know, they, they've got enough momentum and enough smarts that they're going to be around for a long time. And I think that, the, you know, the whole the WebGL thing shows that they're they're really forward-looking, you know. And in two years, it could be that, you know, there's kind of a resurgence of, of you know, games played in a browser, you know, and it could be that, mobile devices in two years, you know, there's already WebGL support and Safari on, on iOS and I think on, on Android as well. So mm -hmm. it could be that, you know, in a couple of years you could be playing, you know, Unity games in a browser on a mobile device, you know, and we could be reaching, you know, millions more people who wouldn't know about our game otherwise, you know. So I think there's lots of avenues out there, you know. And for us at Footfly, it's just easy because it's like, well, any platform that we want to go to with our games pretty much is supported by Unity. You know, we start with PC, Mac, and Linux, and then, you know, we can go to all the PlayStation platforms, the Xbox, you know, Nintendo, any mobile platform that we want to, and it's like, what, what more could you want, you know? Mm -hmm. So, I think the future is bright there. Yeah, I, I completely agree with uh, what Aaron's saying. Uh, the last few uh, major updates that they've done, such as uh, Unity 4.2 adding the 2D, 2D support, and all the stuff that they're adding in Unity uh, 5, um, they just keep adding and adding new stuff, uh, which is insane because uh, people loved it back when it was like Unity 2. And uh, they're like, oh my goodness, there's so much you can do with Unity, and they just keep adding on and adding on and adding on. And, uh, well, I don't particularly uh, enjoy using Unity. Um, I think that it's definitely uh, a great tool. There's a lot of people using it. For uh, great stuff, it's very uh, simple to use. 
it's a bit of a pain in the ass to use sometimes, um, just because of what I'm used to, um, as far as uh, physics engines go. And uh, it's just, yeah, it's, it's a great pl platform uh, with WebGL uh, and what Aaron said. I'm not going to repeat them. Uh, that's, that's a great avenue. And uh, they just keep adding on. And uh, that's something that keeps people coming. So, I mean, you can deploy to all the, all the platforms. Uh, iOS, Android, uh, PlayStation, Xbox, Wii, um, PC, everything. So it's, it's an all-in-one package. I think Unity is going to go very, very far. It already has. So... Right. Uh, the other thing they've got going for them is the the asset store. Oh yeah. That's something that I think you know Epic and everybody else is kind of trying to catch up with, but they've got a huge head start there. You know, there's people that are pretty much making a living just selling assets on the asset store, and, and Unity gets a cut of that, and that's a good thing because it's like you know it's just another revenue stream for them. It'll let them you know keep the price affordable for the base product, and hopefully we'll see you know maybe lower prices on the subscription thing to kind of. Uh, get it more in line with like what you know what Epic is asking for Unreal and, and Crytek is asking for the the Crytek engine. But you know I think just seeing that they have a sustainable and growing business model is kind of like for me that's just giving me more confidence in them as a company. You know because it means they're going to have resources to keep improving the engine and and you know keep adding support for new platforms and better support for the platforms that they already do and stuff like that. So. Yeah, thank you for the question, Visor. We are going to start the official interview now. So, Aaron, you want to tell us a little bit about Flipfly, how you guys started, all that jazz? Sure. So, uh, Flipfly was a company that I started with my brother, Forrest. And I guess it was a couple of years ago now that we officially went full-time with it. So, I um, I kind of started my career in games in the studio. So, I, I ran out of school, I... I got a job at a place called Raven Software here in Wisconsin, and I worked there for about seven years. Um, my brother Forrest also lives in Wisconsin, about an hour and a half away from me, and uh, you know, he was he was doing graphic design, and he owned a, a, a sign shop in a small town in central Wisconsin for a while, and so he kind of got a lot of those business smarts and stuff like that, and um, what happened is just kind of like, you know, Forrest was doing this sign shop thing, and it wasn't really something he was passionate about. You know, he, he liked the graphic design, but he didn't really like making signs. You know, it's like making signs for, you know, vehicles and stuff like that. And, um, you know, and I was doing uh, games at Raven, and it was kind of like the games that we were working on in the AAA space were kind of getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and our role as a company was getting kind of like more and more of a cog in the machine, essentially. And I was just like a very small cog in that machine, so... Um, you know, just getting less and less kind of happy with what I was doing. And so, um, ultimately, you know, Raven went through a round of layoffs and a lot of my friends, you know, got laid off and had to relocate and stuff like that. And it's like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm married with kids and we have a house here in Wisconsin and we, you know, it's pretty typical in the game industry to see layoffs and people reload locating across the country or, you know, going to Canada for, you know, jobs there and stuff like that. And it just wasn't all about that. And so I just decided to start kind of like looking into other ways I could support myself, you know, at the same time, it's like, there's just all this momentum towards the indie scene and we're seeing the barriers to get on steam lowering and the barriers to get on consoles lowering and all these tools like unity kind of like rising up and, you know, just the, 
the barriers that would have prevented me from doing independent game development were all just kind of like lowering. And at the same time, it's like there were more and more success stories, you know, from the indie game community of people actually being able to sustain themselves. And so um, we decided to kind of just start exploring the possibility of, of this. And, you know, I talked to my brother Forrest and we decided to make an, an iOS app. And so we made this thing called Monkey Drum. And as well, I was still working my day job. And it was just like a, a musical toy um, for young kids where you, you play on a drum and this little character kind of repeats it back like Simon Says type thing. And it wasn't even really a game. Um, and that ended up taking like two years of, of our free time doing that. And we just kind of like worked at it in the evenings and the weekends and stuff like that for a couple of years. And ultimately we put it out and it wasn't a big financial success at first. Uh, we, we made a lot of mistakes with the business model. We tried to do a, a free model with in-app purchases and it just didn't work. And, um, you know, it, it was just a, a big learning experience. And I think what it, what it mostly taught us was like, you know, we can actually do this. We can make a game and we can work together and we can publish it and we kind of know how this production works now, you know, and that gave us enough confidence to really just kind of go for it. And so uh, I guess it was April of 2012 when we officially, I, you know, I quit my job and Forrest kind of, he wasn't doing the sign shop thing anymore, but he was doing like freelance websites and stuff. And he kind of put that stuff all aside and we both kind of just jumped in full time. And uh, yeah, that was when we pretty much started as a company. So, um, and the first thing we did was, you know, during that couple of years of just kind of like working in our free time and stuff, we've been talking about all kinds of ideas and stuff. And we just, we put all of our ideas in a spreadsheet basically and just kind of like rated them according to how well, how much we wanted to work on them and how well we thought they could do and how well we thought they were within our ability and stuff like that. And Race of Sun is kind of like the, the game that sort of trickled to the top. You know, we thought at the time that we would crank it out in two to three months and that would be our first game and then we'd move on, you know, and it, um, it turned into a much longer project than that. So I think we're coming up on coming up on two years now that we've still been working <laughs> on it. So. Hey, you guys uh, released around this time last year. Uh, the Well, that, at least that's when I got it. Yeah, yeah, so what we did was we kind of did this alpha funding thing where, you know, after we had been working on it for about four or five months, we... We put it out um, in a really early form. You know, basically you could buy the game and you get an early alpha copy and you can kind of play it and give us feedback and help us, you know, improve it and stuff. So we did that for a while and we weren't making any money with it. And so we ended up running a Kickstarter. And then our original plan was to launch in May of 2013. And then uh, the multiplayer feature that we tried to add ended up taking a lot longer than we than we thought. And then you know, May slipped into June and July, and finally we launched it in August, officially, like the 1.0 version, um, and we just did that from our website, so it was just like, a, we used the Humble Widget for sales, and, uh, you know, did a whole press release round, and tried to get reviews and stuff like that, and that was our official launch for the game, um, and at the time, we still didn't have Steam access, we were kind of stuck on green light, so, um, yeah, so that was the official launch. We didn't launch on Steam until December of 2013, uh, and that was when it kind of started to be able to support us, you know, as a product. Oh, sorry, I thought you had a little bit more to say. Um, no, that's cool. <laughs> um, 
Awkward silence. <laughs> yeah, Race to Sun was actually one of the first games we reviewed in uh, Indie Power Mag. Um, back yeah. when that was that was still a thing. Um, yeah. We've been trying to relaunch that, but we, we just don't have the time. It's it's insane. Like like you were saying with the game, you thought it was going to be like two or three months, and it spanned into two years. Yeah. <laughs> That's how these things go. <laughs> everything, everything takes way more time than you expect. Yep. Unless you think it's gonna take a long time, then it takes like 20 minutes, and you're like, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have a rule we try to apply where it's just like, you know, we'll make our best time estimates, and we're just gonna multiply it by two, and that'll probably be a little bit closer to, to reality, you know. <laughs> so, but we try to apply it. I said we always, we don't like doing it, so we tend to just, you know, be really optimistic about stuff. So. <laughs> So, uh, Race the Sun is currently available for $10. You can get it over at footfly.com if you guys want to check it out. Uh, like Aaron said, it is on Steam, so you can also get it there. Um, just be warned, it's it's a lot more addicting than it looks. It's It looks fun, but then you play it, and you can't stop. It's, yeah. it's insane. Um, so, where exactly did you guys get the idea for race the song you know it was uh it was kind of an evolution actually and I'd, I'd love to say that we had like this flash of inspiration for a game about a solar power craft and all that but what it started was i was just kind of tinkering around with this 3d modeling program called sketchup mm -hmm. i just had some like really small primitive shapes that kind of looked like buildings and stuff and i stuck a light in the scene and it was just like wow this looks kind of cool you know it was just neat shadows and stuff and it was like a really sparse world and you know, we just started thinking, like, you know, it'd be awesome if if you could just race through that, and those were obstacles, you know, and so we, I kind of, like, whipped up something really quick as a prototype in, like, a weekend, and it was kind of fun, you know, and we just started thinking, like, okay, this is cool, like, what else can we do to make it more unique, you know, and then we put, you know, we thought about putting a sun in there, and what if that's, like, your timer, you know, and what if you're a, a solar power craft, you know, and, and so we had that in there, and it was kind of neat, um, and then after a while, we started realizing that like the, the lower the sun got in the, in the sky, the longer the shadows got. And we could put something in there where the, the shadows would actually block you and make it so you'd slow down and the sun would go down faster. And so like a lot of these things were just like a slow evolution over the course of you know weeks and months into kind of the form the game is taken now. Um, and, you know, like I said, I'd love to say that it was just like a flash of inspiration, but it was really just a very iterative process where we just kind of like tried things out and you know that would give us an idea for something else and then we try that out and you know sometimes it, it was fun sometimes it wasn't and um you know I, I think we put it up on the website congregate after after like three months and uh that was really great too because we could just kind of like track what people were, were doing and how well they liked it and you know just lots of feedback right away and so i think that really kind of shaped it into the um dare I say addictive game it is now you know where we're just like what if we what, you know what if we added a score multiplier for the tries and that makes it more valuable you know and then you know what if you if you bump into something and it doesn't kill you maybe you can knock down your score multiplier so it's like a reward for playing more perfectly and all these little things like that you know just like the the objective and leveling system was kind of an evolution of of that where people thought it was fun but they needed more and they needed more challenges and so we we kind of added that and so it definitely wasn't uh, 
traditional waterfall game development, you know, like write out a design document and then create it. You know, it was very much like, oh, here's an idea. Let's throw it together in a day and then try it out and add a little bit here and there, you know. And I think the more I think about it, it's like it's probably probably how we how we like making games, you know. Just that, you know, see where it see where it leads you kind of philosophy, I guess. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of another game that did that. There's there's one that comes off the top of my head, but was it Braid? No. Well, I I guess it's kind of the same thing with Braid. Like, uh, if if you've ever seen an indie game the movie, John Blow kind of says mm-hmm. you're like sitting over a gold mine. Does it kind of feel like that? Yeah. Yeah, it's like he, I think the way he put it. I watched a talk a while back from him, and he was talking about asking the game questions. You know, it's like what what happens if you remove jumping, you know, or what happens if you uh, make things happen twice as fast or, you know, what happens if you totally pull this thing out or change this thing around, you know, um, and I, I like that philosophy where it's just like sometimes, sometimes it's just dumb luck, like finding the coolest aspect of it, you know, like the whole idea of the sun going down and when it goes down, it casts longer shadows and that makes the game more intense. That wasn't something that we, that we really designed. It was it was almost just like something we stumbled upon because we were willing to iterate and just kind of throw things in there, you know. So whose whose idea was it to have the game tilt so much? Because <laughs> at first I was like, "Whoa, tilt!" Oh, yeah. like when the when the camera tilts a little bit. When yeah. Spinning? I I, yeah, I haven't like played a... it in a while, so you might you guys might have toned it down a bit from the last time I played, but yeah. It's gone through some tweaks here and there. It's kind of funny because um, after we after we were probably like halfway through the game and somebody told us that we cloned a game called Cube Field and we had never actually heard of it before, but it was like this this old Flash game from probably like five or ten years ago. And, and when you go and play Cube Field, it was like it, it had the same tilt, but it was more <laughs> extreme. So, and the guards is actually kind of kind of tame compared to that, but. Yeah, it was just like one of those polished things, you know, like add a little bit of that momentous feeling, I guess, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I'm checking it out right now. Yeah, it's really slow though. I don't like that. Yeah, yeah. slower with you know, like a slow, a smaller view distance, I guess. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this isn't very fun. <laughs> <laughs> So, so that's that's the true inspiration right there. You're just like, oh, dude, the theme. <laughs> it's amazing field. how many games are out there that people have accused us of, accused us of cloning. You know, it's like Cube Field and uh, Sky Roads or something like that, and uh, Space Harrier, I think, was another one. Um, and there's some other little Java game. I don't remember what it was called. Jet something or another. That was pretty similar. You know, it's like when it comes down to it, there's a lot of games about you know, flying really fast and avoiding things, you know, so it's a particular take on it that makes Racist Sun unique, I guess. Mm-hmm. We didn't even really realize that it was such a, a big genre, I guess, when we started, you know, it was like, just thought it would be cool to fly through this big abstract procedural world, you know. Mm-hmm. All right, shoot, where did I put my notebook? Oh, there it is. All right, let's see. 
So, um, what what made you decide to go with your brother on this instead of uh, somebody that actually had been doing work in the games industry? Sure, sure. Part of it is just the you know we we talked about doing games together. I think as teenagers for a long time and stuff like that. And it was it was sort of a just kind of a cool evolution of, of events, you know, where it was like, you know, he's also a musician and a sound designer and, you know, we thought it would be cool to make a, a game where you just played an instrument, you know, and so it was a natural fit. <clears throat> and once we, once we finished that, it was like, Hey, I think we've actually got something going here. You know, when it, when it comes right down to it, it's like Forrest, <clears throat> he's, you know, he's a graphic designer and an artist and a musician and a sound designer and somebody who knows how business works, you know, thanks to his background at the sign shop. And I'm a programmer and a game designer and kind of like dabbled in, in 3D art a little bit, you know. And so when we thought about it, it's like between the two of us, we really kind of had everything covered, you know. Um, and, and on top of that, it's like being brothers, we knew we could we could trust each other and stuff like that. And so it was like just kind of like all the right reasons, you know. It's like you want to go into business with somebody, you know, you can trust and somebody, you know you like working with and like talking to and stuff like that. So it just kind of made a ton of sense for us. Did it ever uh, cause any problems during any point? I don't think so. You know, I, I, I kind of did some, some reading on it initially because I knew that like people have gone into business with, with family members and it ends in disaster, you know? And so like one of the things that, that I was hearing a lot was like, you know, make sure that you, understand all the terms that you have and so we we actually uh we hired a lawyer and we set up like a a partnership agreement between the two of us and i recommend this you know because it's like you know just laid out all the things that we hadn't thought of you know like what if one of us decides we want to go in another direction in two years you know like what happens with the partnership you know what if one of us um you know ends up working twice as many hours as the other one you know how do we avoid that feeling of resentment you know or whatever and so we, we kind of built our whole business and profit share thing kind of like with all those contingencies in mind from the get-go and you know i started thinking about things like you know what are our company values what are the types of games that we want to make what are the types of games that we don't want to make you know what is the size of our company going to be what is our goal for that you know and there's definitely times when forks and i disagree on things you know um but it's cool because I, I tend to be a lot more gung-ho, let's go for it, you know, let's grow and let's, you know, take every opportunity we can. And Forrest tends to be a little bit more conservative and let's stay small, let's save this money, let's, you know, um, try this again and go for the, the sure thing. And so I think between the two of us kind of pulling on each other in, in opposite directions, sometimes it's, it's a good thing because we think about all the contingencies, you know, and it works out with game design as well where we both have a lot of input on that stuff um and so i i think we've avoided a lot of the problems that that partners who are family members go into together just because we had all those agreements and everything kind of worked out right from the beginning you know um there have been difficult conversations every once in a while but it's always been like you know just being honest with each other is kind of the best policy you know it's like you know i'm I think as long as I don't decide I want to hire 20 people, you know, and start making, you know, drastically different types of games or something, or, you know, we're not going to become a, uh, you know, an Android app company or something like that. You know, I think we'll be, I think we'll be fine. 
Ooh, I also just got another idea for a question, so I'm going to write down Android. Um, so, uh, besides that, um, well, actually, yeah, let's go to that first. Um, with Android, uh, where did you hear about that, uh, the app that you used? I believe it's called Brass Monkey? Oh, yeah. Uh, Brass Monkey is this little uh, kind of cool piece of technology where basically you download a mobile app, and it lets you connect over Wi-Fi to, uh, you know, a game in your web browser, or in the case of Race to Sun, like the standalone game. And you can use the, the controller, the, the phone or mobile device as a controller. So like with Race to Sun, you can tilt or touch. Um, so if you don't have a, a gamepad, it's a decent alternative. Um, they actually approached us after we put the game up on Congregate because they thought it would be a really good fit for their platform. And, you know, we were kind of reluctant at first and... Um, you know, but they, they seem really cool to work with. And then, you know, we thought maybe we'd get a little more exposure and it would be kind of a cool hook for the game to set it apart. So, you know, we did the work to, to integrate their platform. Um, so yeah, that's just one of those opportunities that kind of fell in our lap. Thanks to putting our game out there and congregate you know, in a really, really alpha. So, and it's kind of cool because, uh, they are based in Boston and, they actually helped us bring the game to PAX uh, in 2013. Oh. And so, you know, we drove out there and they, they kind of brought TVs and computers for us and stuff. And we set up a banner and our thing to, to kind of let them, you know, show off the tech and stuff like that. And so, you know, we were able to forge a little bit more of a relationship there. And that led to, you know, Sony connecting with us and all kinds of other opportunities. And uh, just recently, um, Mike Kinnerick, who was there, kind of indie developer uh, outreach guy. He moved, he moved on from Brass Monkey, and we've actually been working with him at Flipfly as kind of our part-time business uh, business development guy. And so he's been helping us with biz dev and, and PR and planning, and, and uh, he planned our PAX experience this last year, and so we brought the game to PAX again. And uh, So that's been really cool. You know, it's just like all these opportunities that fall in our lap, you know. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, he he emailed he emailed me a while back asking if I was going to be at PAX. You know, hey, you reached the sun. We're spoiler alert, going to be on Vita and uh, Oculus Rift. Do you you want to yeah. go? I'm like, what? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of crazy when we think back about all the the things that we've done and the opportunities that we've had and just kind of like how they came about. You know, because most of them are just kind of like random chance. You know, we got lucky, you know, that they saw our game on Congregate among all these other ones. But I think the lesson there is just like, you know, if, at, at, especially at first when you're just getting started out as an indie developer, you know, it's like you need to look for opportunities and you need to take them, you know, when they come up. And part of that is just keeping your eyes open and stuff. But part of it is just working really hard, you know, um, you know, get yourself out there however you can and and look for ways to forge a relationship with, with people and, um, you know, make good friendships and stuff because that stuff pays off, you know? Yeah, it's, it's always surprising where you, uh, where you get help from. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, like, uh, there, there's this uh, group that I'm a part of uh, called Bringale, and, uh, I don't know, I, I kind of get along with some people in there, but I... I don't, I'm not very active in it, and then one day, I was just chatting, and this guy's like, oh, hey, I need some help with, with a website, I'm like, 
I'll help out. And now we talk like every day. Uh-huh. And we're we're making games together. It's uh-huh. you never know what's gonna happen. It's crazy. Uh just typing in the link for DJ Duty. Oops. And then I uh there you go. Alright. Oh, Hano says that I'm not being loud enough. Is this good? Am I being too loud for you now, Aaron? <laughs> I, I can hear fine. Okay. Um, yeah, they said that it's a bit quiet on there. Um, gotcha. So, what's going on with your brother at E3? Um, has he has he been keeping in touch with you about the uh, the press conferences and all that? Yeah, he uh, so he, he didn't go to the press conference, but he uh, he was out there for the Sony developer conference that's going on just after E3, and so he's been meeting a lot of other indies and people from Sony and just kind of like learning about you know, stuff like what we have to do during submission and, and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, we, with E3, it was like, we got, you know, we could have gone to the Sony press conference and we would have really loved to, but it was like, that was on Monday and we didn't want to commit to a whole week of being out there and stuff. So, um, but from what I hear, it's been, it's been really good. You know, it's like every time we go to one of these events, it's just like, you know, we find new opportunities and meet new people and make new connections, you know, and that stuff just just, it's always valuable, you know. <clears throat> Alright, DJ Duty is saying that there's a uh, there's an echo. Uh, which one of us is echoing? Uh, you gotta love you gotta love audio subs. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, well uh, you get back to that when you can. Um Oh, on the guy that was talking to you. Oh, so Aaron has an echo. Hearing an echo from me. I can turn my mic down a little bit if that would help. Yeah, let's try that. Let's see. Or I can just try try to talk quieter, maybe. Is that better? Is that better, DJ D Duty? Taking a little while. All right, so okay. yeah, I I think so. Um, hopefully it is. So, uh, what's next for you guys? Uh, you guys have a partnership with Sony. You guys have been working on Race the Sun for two years. Yeah, yeah, we're kind of. You know, I, I think we're gonna kind of going into support mode with Race of Sun and on PC. Uh, we're kind of in the midst of doing a redesign in the menus and stuff to make it more controller friendly. You know, and that'll that'll apply both to both to the you know the console version, but also the, the Steam version. We're thinking about more features that we can add, so we're going to be adding Oculus Rift support in time for the retail launch there. And um, you know, we're obviously thinking about more platforms. You know, we're thinking about mobile. Um, thinking about Know, Xbox, maybe a Wii U, you know, nothing concrete to announce there, but you know, I'll be doing more of that. And then um, we've actually announced our next game already, and it's called Hex Arden. And it's right. it's kind of a sort of the polar opposite of Race of Sun. So Race of Sun is, you know, fast and action packed, intense, you know, 60 frames a second, you know, all about quick reactions and stuff. And Hex Arden is actually a, it's like a slow, contemplative puzzle game. Um, and so. That's sort of what we announced. We haven't really had that much time to work on it in the last couple of months with with all the 
races some sony stuff but that's on the horizon and then we've been talking about just sort of uh, doing a refresher thing for for the two of us where after you know the sony um, builds are out and approved and all that we're probably going to take about six to eight weeks um later this summer and do like a, a game a week kind of thing where we just do like a uh, a prototype in Unity for about a week and just try to make like a whole bunch of game prototypes, just sort of get all of our ideas out there and, you know, just explore new things and see if something else is really fun, you know, try to get, you know, feedback on them and involve our community however we can and stuff. But I think we just feel like we need to sort of get racist out of our system a little bit and, you know, stretch our muscles a little bit before we jump into you know, heavy production on, on a big thing. So that's kind of a, the thing we're looking forward to here. It's a, the light at the end of the tunnel, I guess. That's exciting. So, like, has it has it felt like two years? Because some people say that it feels like ages, and other people say that it, it just went by super fast. How, right, how do you right. feel? It actually seems like it's been longer than two years to me. Um, just cause we put so much time into it, you know, you know, we, we've had some rough times with the game. I think after about five months, you know, working on it, we, <clears throat> it had gone on longer than we thought and it wasn't making any money and we were kind of running out of cash. And then, you know, we ran the Kickstarter and the Kickstarter was kind of a story in its own. It almost failed and ended up funding. And then, you know, the actual production period after that went on a lot longer than we thought it would. And then, you know, we were stuck on green light and kind of like trying to get the word out about that and that whole process of getting on was this kind of interesting and lengthy thing that happened, you know, and so there's lots of big events in the history of the game that, that feel like they were probably dragged on a lot longer than, than they actually did, you know, but, um, so not all that two years was like full-time heavy production on Race of Sun. Sometimes it was like, okay, we've got to get this website together for our company and our games and we've got to we got to do better at press, you know, and then we need to make a trailer and, um, you know, now we're running this Kickstarter for, for 30 days and that took up all of our time. And, you know, so just lots of ups and downs and diversions and stuff like that. But yeah, it feels like it's been a lot longer actually. Uh, Visor asks, uh, do you have, or do you plan on having any of your games on the PS Vita? And I'm guessing maybe he means future games because, uh, Race to Sun is coming out for Vita. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think we're going to, we're going to see, you know, I think, uh, right now we don't really have a whole lot of data about how well a game can sell on the Vita. And so, you know, it's been a lot of work to, to get it running fast and do all the, the porting work and stuff like that. We love working with Sony and it's, it's a great little system that we'd like to support. I think we've just got to kind of like use the, the race to sun launch as a learning experience to see like, does it make sense for, for our next game? You know, so but I would say it's definitely a good a good possibility. Uh, how far are you guys in Hexarden? Hexarden is still pretty early. Um, so, you know, we put up the website at hexarden.com and it has a, a concept image um, from a guy named Tim Reynolds that really like uh, his art. And that's kind of like our target visual for the game, but we're still pretty early as far as like fleshing out all the mechanics and stuff like that. And so it actually started life as a, as a Ludum Dare prototype. It was just like something I made in 48 hours and seemed to be a lot of fun. 
but we've got all kinds of ideas for it that you know we just need to take the time to explore so i would say we're less than less than 10 percent in on the way in that one so but our goal with it has always been make something a little bit smaller you know it doesn't have to run at 60 frames a second <laughs> you know on on five platforms or whatever you know and it's just kind of like it's more about looking good and, and being an interesting puzzle game, you know, so there's a lot less that we have to tune there, you know, it's like we don't have to spend two months, you know, tuning the, the flight mechanics and stuff like that, you know, to, to make it fun. So um, hopefully once we kind of get into full production on that, it'll be a much faster project. Where have I seen the name Timothy Reynolds before? Uh, let's see, his Twitter name is Turn His Left Home. And he, uh, I think he has a website, Turn His Left Home, as well. And he's just kind of like a really talented, low-poly artist. And so he does this low-poly work that's that's rendered out with really cool lighting and shadow effects and stuff like that. Um, I don't know that he's actually worked on a video game project before. I, I think he's done some concepts like uh, like he did for us, but mostly he's a, he's a graphic designer who works in 3D, so... Hmm. Turn is left home. Yeah, I'm on here. Huh. Yeah, I have no idea. His, his name just seems really, really familiar. Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to think of what he's probably best known for. He, he does uh, magazine covers and stuff like that, so. Um. Huh. Yeah, the concept art that he did for the uh, the game looks looks absolutely fantastic. Is, yeah, we so, were super happy with it. So you guys are going to try to make it look pretty close to that? That's our goal, yeah. Yeah, we saw that. It's like, you know, if we can hit that, we'd be really happy with that. So <laughs> we'll do our best. So how exactly does Hex Arden uh, work? I know that you guys did release it for uh, Ludendare, so there is a bit of a uh, tech demo, so to say. Yeah, so the, the basic idea is that it's a garden puzzling game. And so there's essentially a hexagon grid and it's it's populated with uh these empty spaces and then there's there's a certain number of water tiles and then and plant tiles and basically your goal is to make connections between the water and the plant and so you drag these these uh, tiles to adjacent ones and that grows it so if you have a water you can drag the water into an adjacent spot and just kind of keep growing up from there and so if it, the goal is to make as many connections as you can between the plant and the water, because every time you, a plant connects to a water on one side of the hexagon, it increases your score by one. <clears throat> and so that was the basic concept. It's pretty simple. You know, it's just like find the optimal arrangement of water and plants so that you can get the best score. Um, and it's, it sort of has like this not obvious complexity to it that, you know, when we when I, I put it up there, I was just kind of surprised at how much people were getting into it. And so that's the basic concept. We're still exploring other ideas like, you know, what if there was a weed and the weed grows every, every turn or something like that, you know, or, uh, you know, what if, what if there were height uh, differences between some of the tiles and you can make like waterfalls and, and stuff like that, you know, and so we're still exploring a lot of ideas like that. Um, and the idea of whether, we want random elements in there or if it's just going to be like a totally deterministic game board, you know, and there's kind of like pluses and minus to both of those and stuff. And so we're still sort of in that exploratory mode where we just kind of 
want to ask those questions at the game and see what it, see what it says, you know. But mm-hmm. um, the basic concept is pretty simple. Is there a time limit then? Nope, no time limit. It's basically the game ends when you fill up all of the the board with either plants or water. Oh, okay. And so, you know, I, the the original one was kind of like a procedurally generated um, game board, and now I, I made a level editor so you can actually just like design custom arrangements of those things. And so, you know, with Racist on, we have a, a level editor, and it's worked out pretty well to support that user created content. And we've we've kind of thought about the idea of of making that like almost a central theme in this game, you know, like the idea of letting people create their own puzzles and share them with each other and just how we can work that into the game. So, um, so it's all about just like what makes this level special, you know, and how, what tools can we put in the level editor to, to kind of make each level feel unique and, and fun, you know? Uh, speaking of the level editor in race to sun, um, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the uh, development process of that, um, how it evolved, and uh, how user feedback uh, influenced the uh, level editor. Uh, how many iterations do you think you went through uh, designing the level editor in Race to Song? It was kind of interesting because the original level editor wasn't, um, there really wasn't much to it. And so the original game, the initial version of it was essentially nothing was was hand created and so all the all the buildings and stuff were just like rocks and houses and different types of objects or archways and stuff like that and we we kind of set out to design individual objects and 3d model them to look you know to look like a thing and so we had a house and a tree and a a crystal and an archway and these are all like hand created in in a 3d modeling program and then the game engine would just kind of like scatter them randomly and as you got farther you'd go faster and it would put them in more dense arrangements and stuff like that and it was it was fun and it kind of had the core of what we were looking for in the game but visually it wasn't very interesting and gameplay wise it wasn't super interesting because it was essentially just a random scattering you know and so even though the game was creating a a unique layout every day it didn't look like it it just kind of looked like the same random scattering every day because you know it was just unrecognizable patterns, you know, and so what happened is we launched the Kickstarter and that was kind of like the design for it and it just kind of flatlined, like I think we got to the end of the first week and we had less than a thousand dollars funded and overwhelmingly I think the feedback, the feedback we were getting was just, it looks boring, you know, it looks drab, it doesn't look interesting and we just kind of had to do a whole lot of soul searching there and I was sitting there like on a Friday night just thinking about like, okay, what can we do different here? You know, like what, what can we do to make this more interesting and make it so we can create more interesting content with less work than what we're having to do right now? Cause we were kind of stuck as far as the design. We had like all these ideas in our head for like, what if, what if you had tunnels and you can go through the tunnel and there's more risk and more reward and stuff like that, but we didn't really have a method of doing that. And so we talked about it and just how we could, kind of like do a 180 there and make the game more interesting. And we just kind of came up with this idea of like tossing out all the, the hand created specific objects like a house and instead just kind of like using primitives like cubes and um, boxes and cylinders and stuff and making a level editor where you could actually just like craft those objects out of those primitives. And it would look more simple, you know, but 
but maybe that was good because it would be more consistent and it would be more in line with like what our abilities were as artists, you know? And so essentially what we did is we went kind of back to the drawing board on the visual of the game and tossed out all that art that we had created and instead invested our time in this level editor, which is also like an object editor modeler kind of thing. And so all the objects in the game now are created out of, out of like four primitives that are kind of like arranged in this, in this level editor. And we, we basically just crunched on that for like two weeks right in the middle of the Kickstarter and then put together a new trailer with what we had come up with, with like a week left. Um, and so it was really just that soul searching that kind of happened as a result of, you know, launching that Kickstarter and failing so hard at the beginning and just realizing that we were missing an element in the game, you know, and that really just kind of like spurred us to, to try harder and try something different, you know, because when it came down to it, what came out of it was a look that was simpler and it was more evocative. Um, and it it kind of, it looked kind of like Star Fox or those old low poly 3D games, you know, it didn't look like we were trying to be realistic or, you know, high art or whatever. It was just more, you know, like a consistent low poly, you know, cool lighting kind of look. Um, and it was also, it enabled us to actually design patterns and stuff that were intentional, you know, so now we can make a tunnel that you could fly through or a ramp and you fly off the ramp and there's a, a row of tries that you got to catch, you know, power-ups you got to catch if you land just right and stuff like that. And all these specific things that actually looked unique. And so when the game arranges these patterns every day, you can actually say, like, okay, this pattern looks different than, or this world looks different than it did yesterday, you know. And so it was really just an evolution that came out of, you know, the feedback that the community gave us about it looking boring, basically. <laughs> Just checking the chat. Nothing there. All right. Um. Yeah, we're we're pretty much uh, done here. Um. If anybody wants to ask any questions, uh, feel free to do so now. We're gonna wrap the show in the next couple of minutes. Uh, again, uh, it's the IRC is available at indiefunction.com/radio. Um. Yeah. So, uh, Aaron, is there anything else you'd like to say? Yeah, I don't think so. You know, I just, um, we're pretty excited to be kind of wrapping up the, the PlayStation stuff this summer and, you know, just really looking forward to kind of doing something else. So it'll be, it'll be awesome to, you know, get back into just doing game jams for a while. And it's almost like a, a vacation for us just to get out of that production cycle for a while and, and explore some new ideas. So looking, looking forward to that a lot. <laughs> Yeah, where are we going to be able to find all these uh, prototypes if, if you're even going to release them? I'm sure them. we'll put them up on the website. You know, we, we've talked a little bit about doing streaming or something like that, maybe, maybe doing a stream at the end of each one to talk about the game or something. Maybe we'll stick them up on the website in a, in a Unity web player or something like that. Um, you know, We've always been pretty open with our development, so I think we'll probably continue to do that. Sweet. Well, there you have it, guys. That was uh, Aaron San Filippo from Flipfly. Yeah, nice talking to you. Yeah, thanks for coming on the show. So yeah. uh, we're going to wrap it up, uh, do our typical credits. So if you guys want to stick around for that, you can. And if not, thanks for joining us today.
Thank you for listening in to broadcast number 46 of Indie Radio. This broadcast is broadcasted live on 1000 mics and recorded using Adosity. All music was found on Newgrounds coming from Ishiko Chaplow and Assorted Artists. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you have a great weekend.